Every now and again, I get a request like this, and I really wish I could talk to the person who requested it and say, why did you request this? And I don't, I don't want to say that as like an accusatory thing. I'm legitimately curious why it was that of all the works that you could request, you decided to pick this one. Um, so if you happen to be watching this, I believe Myron uh, is the one who does it. I, I usually handle those things later, so... I just go down the requests now, and then later on I'm like, okay, this one was requested by this person, and this one was... Anyways, I think it was Myron who requested this one, but if you have any reasoning why you wanted me to look at this, please feel free to tell me. I'm actually quite curious. So... <clears throat> I actually played the Bouncer once uh, when it came out. It was either a rental or a borrow, I'm not sure which didn't really make much of an impact on me, which is funny because that seems to be the general consensus. Every now and again I do a rumination and I, 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 well, I always go and I try to find, uh, nowadays it's like Reddit threads or forum posts, sometimes for older games it's stuff like, you know, archives of old message boards or email groups or stuff like that, trying to find people who deliberate or debate on a work just to try and see what other people think of a work. I usually do that after I've gone through the game myself and got my own in, uh, you know, thoughts or inspiration of it, or at the very least as part of you know, the behind-the-scenes thing. I found almost nothing about this game. Like, nothing. I'm sure there's someone somewhere discussing this game, but near as I can tell, I appear to be the first. So, uh, yay for making Internet history. Now, this is also a pretty good example of a concept that I don't have a proper term for. Uh, initiator versus codifier. The example I love to use is Dune versus Command and Conquer. Dune was before Command and Conquer and arguably began the RTS genre. But not that many people remember Dune, and Dune wasn't particularly popular or didn't really start the RTS boom. That would be Command and Conquer and arguably Warcraft 1 did that. Same thing with Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein 3D is debatably the first first-person shooter, you know, first FPS genre, although that can be debated and has been debated. Uh, but there's no denying that Doom is the one that really got that one going. What's weird is this game started several things. So, first of all, this is... I was actually surprised by this when I looked at the box. Uh, this is a Squaresoft game. <laughs> you remember Squaresoft? Some of you might remember Squaresoft. Um... Squaresoft game, it was actually their first PS2 title. It was their first foray into trying out the hardware on the new system. It was also a first in a lot of other things. I've got a whole list here of things that they, they, they managed firsts of with this game. And it's actually surprising in its own right, considering how important these would become to later games. I wasn't able to 100% verify this, but I have a very strong feeling, based on the development cycle, based on the people who are working on it, that this game was... I don't have a term for it. You know, I just finished my Loriams page over on the website, so people can finally go and reference my Loriams, and I keep coming up with, with term things that I don't have terms for. This is something I like to do. I like to say, I really want to make this big, expansive work. Uh, you know, a, a particular work of art, or a book, or a task, or a speedrun, or whatever. But it's like... I want to get some experience in doing that first, so I'm going to do a tutorial one first. You know, to, to learn how what I'm doing, to figure out how I'm doing it. So I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to do a task on, you know, Evo, the search for Eden first, rather than the task of Chrono Trigger, which is the one I actually wanted to do. And I build up to it. 
what happened here is exactly that. Several of the developers at Squaresoft sat down and said, we really want to make Final Fantasy X and Kingdom Hearts. And so they said, God, that is so far beyond what we've done up until now. Oh, God, what do we do? Well, I've got it, guys. Why don't we make another game, push it out to be one of the launch titles of the PS2, which it debatably didn't make, depends on how you define that, and then that'll be our game where we learn the new hardware and figure out what we're doing. And it's a good damn thing they did this, too. Uh, many reports corroborate the idea that working on the PS2 hardware was a nightmare, which shouldn't surprise anyone because that's true of the PS2, the PS3, and the PS4. All three systems have... Well, let's just say that making software or just programs and games in general for these systems is not a good thing, and they tend to have some issues. This is not me hating on them. I own all three of these systems and have played many games on these systems. But there's no denying the fact that the infrastructure of all three systems has issues, mostly thanks to Sony. So, gotten that out of the way. This game allowed them to really smooth out a lot of those problems they were having with developing on the PS2 so that they could then take this and take this these lessons forward into Final Fantasy X and Kingdom Hearts 1. And while both of those games have issues, I'm really grateful for both those games and I really enjoy both those games, even the original PS2 versions. So I'm pretty glad that they did this, like I said. A couple other interesting things they did, two things in particular, actually, excuse me, three things in particular that they did uh, that come to mind, and I've tossed them all down in my notes here. First of all, something that wasn't even referred to this at the time, Bloom. Lighting Bloom. You could probably see some of it behind me right now, depending on where the video is at. I, don't, I can't actually see it, so I don't know. But we got Bloom, and Depth of Field is another thing that they really developed for this. See, the PS2 couldn't properly do direct anti-aliasing, so they had to do a lot of filters in the lighting effects in order to try and get across the feel and presentation that they wanted. And this was all stuff that they would then use and would further develop and further codify in future games that then became pretty much the norm for video games for nigh into a decade. But the other thing that's interesting is this is a beat-em-up game. You know, wander around, right, you know? And it's a beat-em-up game with RPG elements and a heavy story focus. If that sounds familiar, then it's called Devil May Cry. Or God of War, I suppose, is another example. There's, there's plenty of games that do that. Uh, Bayonetta did that as well, for example. You know, what I nowadays tend to refer to as spectacle fighters because of Yahtzee Croshaw. And I find that interesting because I have found a couple of reports which I was not able to corroborate. So this is speculation that indicated that some of the developers of... God of War and Devil May Cry, took at least a little bit of inspiration from The Bouncer. So, there you go. <laughs> now, I keep kind of emphasizing how much this game did to begin, you know, and kind of start the ball rolling in several different fields, because if I could be completely blunt, the game itself is really not remarkable, and I really don't have that much to say about it. Um, uh, it's short really, really short. Uh, I would be a little more bothered by that if not for the fact that the game has a built-in New Game Plus and is clearly and deliberately designed for replay value. In, in other words, 
there's a difference between a game that is fun a second time through and a game that is different the second time through. And this is in the second category because of the fact that at each major uh, combat point you can pick which of the three characters you end up playing as, that literally can change the story. Not just in the terms of which side of the story you see, but can actually affect events and change how they happen. Uh, Chaldea's Fate is the most obvious example of that that I can think of right now. So you blaze through the game... Then you start over and you blaze through the game as a second guy, and then you start over and you blaze through the game as a third guy. It's like an hour and a half game, maybe, even with the cutscenes on. Another thing the game did, uh, which is very strange, was the voice acting. Now, that uh, you're like, why is that a strange thing? Well, remember, this was kind of a new thing at the time, uh, at least for a console game, to have a fully, hell, actually, even for PC games at this era, having this level of voice acting was kind of unusual. Now... PC games had already started delving into voice acting and had started using voice acting for major characters and whatnot. The Baldur's Gate series comes to mind immediately, uh, which which predated this game. But it was still semi-unusual to have a game which was fully voice acted, like this one was. The only things that are not voice acted is the little tidbits on the loading screen and menus and stuff, which obviously are not going to be. So, that was kind of cool. Uh, unfortunately, this game also kind of started the trend of Square's voice acting being <laughs> I mean not all of the voice acting in this game is bad and it's not the worst voice acting I've ever heard I've heard plenty worse than that but um there were some issues in terms of the reliability, especially with Sion. Oh my god, Sion's voice actor. I, I honestly thought that they had put a guy in a booth and just told him to read lines with no voice direction at all. But then again, I feel like that has been true for several Square uh, Enix games, even in the future. So, oh, maybe that is actually what they did. I don't know, I don't know. Uh, going into the gameplay a couple more times, really quick here. The... Auto lock on feature was really weird. Like when I first pick up the game, it's like, all right, all right, next guy. My first just knee jerk reaction was Double Dragon or any of the other classic uh, arcade or NES or SNES beat em up games, right? Like I just got into the zone immediately. I'm like, okay, I'm with this because I actually used to like those games quite a bit. But then I kept playing, and something about it just kind of kept feeling off for me. And it took me a very long time through the game to really put a finger on what was bothering me. It's the auto-lock-on. It's the fact that you are effectively, even though you're, you've got the weird camera angle, and you're fighting in a 3D plane, you are effectively fighting on a 2D plane relative to the person you're targeting. And the camera itself, at first I kind of liked it, because it has this kind of cinematic, and then they do this, and then they do this, and you could tell they did some programming just on the camera design. But the more I played it, the more I found the camera to be more of an antagonizer than actually helping me to figure out what I was doing, which was fairly common with early 3D games in general, so that's not really a surprise. And again, you know, uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 had huge camera issues, so not really a surprise there. Um... God, do I have anything else to say about the gameplay? Not really. I mean, I, I wanted to talk about the set-piece thing. I've talked about this concept before, set-piece storytelling. And I just wanted to use this. This is probably one of the most textbook, basic examples of set-piece storytelling I've ever seen. You're here. You know, cutscene, an event happens. That event carries you here. You're here. Cutscene, 
You're here. You know, you start off at the bar, then you go again on the train, then you fight on the train, then you get to the base, then you get to the skyscraper, then you take the plane, and then you go up into the space station, and then you beat the game. It's a very short game, like I said. Um, that's what I mean by set-piece storytelling. It's all about those individual set-pieces. And as I was going through the story, it felt like each set-piece was weirdly disconnected from the other ones. Like, there wasn't really a lot of thought put into the plot of this game. Or the story, for that matter. Which is weird, because they bothered to make a lot of different characters. I mean, pretty much every main character has at least several scenes to them. Uh, or I should say, I shouldn't say every main character. Every character that has lines has at least two scenes to them. Bare minimum. And most of the characters have closer to like five or ten scenes to them. And some are far more than that. And there's a lot of characterization, but almost all that characterization is in the loading screens, not in the actual cutscenes. They all have voice actors, but most of them sound so bland that you can't really tell who they are. And the plot is... I don't even know how to put this. The plot is... Okay, so there's a guy who, for reasons I'll get into later wants to take over the world with a spy satellite and his robotic sister. I mean, that, that, that's the plot. I'm, there's no exaggeration. That, that's the plot, and you're going to stop him. And in some cases, you know, I say that kind of thing is like the plot of a story, and I'm doing so as in an exaggerative manner to make a point, but I'm not being exaggerative here. That's just the plot. And... The whole thing feels like, rather than trying to con craft a concrete narrative structure to have the characters rotate around, or trying to have you know, definitive story arcs for the characters, or trying to have some kind of act structure, I mean, the whole thing feels like just it takes place in an afternoon, which is funny, because I think in lore this all happens literally in a day. So I guess that makes sense. But it, there's no attempt to do anything at all from a literary perspective with the story, and it just left me feeling kind of confused. And of course, I have no idea what to say about it, other than, uh, I mean, I could just summarize the events of the game for you, but that's not a rumination. That's not something to discuss. You know, if I was sitting down with someone to talk about this game, I do have a few topics to talk about, including the one I'm talking about right now, which is the fact that I don't have a lot of topics to talk about, and a couple other things I'm going to touch on. But there's not much here. There's not a lot of meat to it. But again... That actually makes sense to me. As weird as this may sound, especially considering this is coming from Squaresoft. Oh, and I should say, uh, what's, what's their name? I wrote it down. Dream Factory. Dream Factory is the other one who worked on this game. And it kind of shows, in a good way, uh, a lot of Air Grise, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, kind of feels from this game. Air, Air, Air Guys? Air Geese? God, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce that game. Anyways, uh, especially from a game from Squaresoft, I look at this and I think, this has to be deliberate. This has to be deliberate. You, you can't tell me that a company literally renowned for putting out convoluted and, and, and extensive plots, which usually have heavy character focus, could throw together what is effectively a one-act play put together by high schoolers. I think this was done deliberately because, again, there w I, I cannot 100% verify this, but I really do believe this was done with the pure intent of making a tech demo game. They wanted to be in there with the first few releases of PS2 games. They, they wanted Square to be attached to the Sony PlayStation 2 as strongly as it was to the PlayStation 1, if not stronger. 
So I get the marketing and the the uh, the political desire behind that. And they wanted to figure out how to make a game on the PS2, which, A, they'd never done before, and P, as we said, mentioned, was hard to do, thanks to the PS2 infrastructure. So they did that, and then it felt like someone was like, we should, we should do a story for this. Uh, okay, okay, hang on. I'm thinking robots? No, 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 no. Let's call them bionoids. Okay, bionoids. Um, evil corporation. And... Evil dude. Okay, go. Because there's no depth here. The only character that I, I, I have... I, I, I had a list of all the characters, but I have nothing written for almost any of them. With two exceptions. Uh, three exceptions, excuse me. Magu... <laughs> Muketsu, I actually have a note here that just says boring. Because he was. He's, he's like, I'm crazy and I like killing people. And we find out, if you, of course, pay attention to the loading screens, that he was someone who was an early experiment to the binoids that turned him crazy because his body, or excuse me, his mind semi-rejected the implants, blah, 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 Kefka, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Echidna, who's just weird, I'll talk about her later. But I want to talk about... I want to talk about, God, his name. I've heard his name said in this game several times. Just now, I played this game today. Uh, Duragon. There we go. Duragon. Duragon. The dragon guy, you know, the villain. Um, he, his motive would have made sense if his de if his desire was anything logical. Like... They do this. They do all this work to. Put, he's probably one of the only characters they put any real effort into trying to give some kind of backstory of significance, other than just, "I hate my life and I want to die." I'm actually a spy, or I used to work for the bad guys. That's, that's you know not not a lot of backstory for most of the characters here. And he's got this whole thing where he really wanted to take care of his sister in the hospital, turned him away. And then, by utter lucky chance, a super rich guy decided to adopt him in exchange for taking care of his sister. But then his sister died. So then, okay, that will mess you up. I totally get that. But then when you get to the end, he doesn't talk about hurting people. He doesn't talk about getting revenge on how screwed up people are. He doesn't talk about how unfair the world is or how he's going to make it a better place. Or anything that would be a logical goal for someone with the kind of motives that he seems to have. No, I wrote this down word for word because I want to whoops. I want to quote it for you word for word, okay? You ready for this? Mankind's true desire is to be dominated by absolute power. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> That's your goal? His goal is to be evil because he's evil. And it's so weird. And then, like, and then you've got other things like, uh, cow. Like, okay, Volt, dark past, ooh, brooding because I used to work with the bad guys. And then he's got this rivalry going with Echidna, except she has this big, you know, bitter hatred of him to the point where she tries to kill him more than once, including in the backstory. And then they just kind of get over that. Just, everything's cool. Can I have a job? And then there's uh, there's uh, Sion, who I keep struggling with the pronunciation of. Sion, because I keep wanting to say Shion, another related, semi-related character, uh, who's near as I can tell doesn't actually have a character motivation other than pretty girl rescue her. <laughs> I mean seriously, 
Although I have to say one thing about him really quick. One thing I've heard most commonly uh, talked about this game is how it was a uh, the the original point for Kingdom Hearts. You know, it's weird seeing this game compared to Kingdom Hearts, or oh my God, it's 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 Sora except ten years older and blah blah blah. I gotta say, other than the visual similarities and some of the character design stuff from a purely visual perspective, I can't see any real similarities between Sion and Sora. I can't even call them both an idiot, even jokingly. Uh, of course, I have certainly gotten plenty of flack for being rather negative about Sora over in the Kingdom Hearts series, and that some of that's well-deserved, and some of that I would argue against. But Sion? He's a non-character. Sora has a character. There is characterization there, even in the first game. In fact, I would argue one of the strongest scenes in Kingdom Hearts 1, forgive me for going off topic a little bit, is the t the extensive series of scenes that happen in the first time you go to Hollow Bastion. I'm not going to say what they are, because I don't want to spoil another game in, in an unrelated rumination, but some of you know what I'm talking about. So even in the first game he was ever in, Sora had character. Sion is just a dude who punches people. I'm a bouncer. I put out trash like you all the time. And he spouts all these one-liners, too. Oh, my God. Anyways, anyways. But then we have Cow, uh, the spy guy. Now, he at least, a little bit of effort was put into trying to give him a little bit of characterization. Because throughout the whole game, if you're paying attention, he's constantly asking about things. And, like, basically being a really bad spy is, is how I'd put that. I just realized I have the wrong thing up. Gosh darn it, it's the second time I've done this recently. I apologize. There we go. Um... He's constantly being a bad spy, like a really obvious spy. Like, imagine if someone walked up to you and, and you're working at Evil Co. Factory, and she says, So, what do you think about our evil overlord and project kill-all-people? Microphone. That's what it felt like with this guy. But at least some effort was made to have him be this consistent character throughout the course of the work. And I'm pretty sure he was voiced by Steve Blum, too, so that might have affected my presentation, his presentation for me. I don't know. Um, and I'm actually at the end of my notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the end of my notes, but it's okay, because I have one last thing to say. After all of this, again, I've already given my theory as to why this is, you know. We didn't want to make a strong story. We just wanted a story, even if it was something you could find in a coloring book, and we wanted to present it. But I think, as weird as this may sound, a deliberate attempt was done to make one-dimensional characters. Now, I've talked about the difference in dimensionality of characters several times before, so I'm not going to go into that. But here, basically, to, to summarize very simply, it feels like each character could be literally summarized by a sentence, and you won't really be missing anything from the character in that sentence. And I feel like that was done very deliberately so that no effort would have to be put into extra cutscenes or backlogs or dialogue during gameplay or whatever. Because, again, this was a very rushed production. In fact, there was actually delays. This game was supposed to come out earlier than it was. And they had to push it back because it was, they were having so many issues producing this game. So from a purely out-of-character making a game perspective, I could see why they would be like, okay, we don't want to flesh these characters out much, but we don't want them to be literally PCs with no personality, so we want to do one-dimensional stuff. So, okay, we've got the spy, we've got the, the sympathetic person, we've got the evil villain, we've got the helpless female, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, the dark past, the dark and brooding past guy, etc., etc. Oh, I actually just thought of something else that wasn't in my notes. I also want to say one other thing. Dominique's character. 
I should have made a game. I should have had... I've got my little counters here. For some of you who've seen my lower runs, I just go... I should have totally sat down and made a counter for how many times they say the name Dominique in this game. Because, oh my god, they won't shut up at it. But it's right up there with Kyrie in Devil May Cry 4. But Dominique's thing was kind of interesting in a weird sort of a way. Because it feels like there was a twist for a twist's sake. And then there was a twist that was kind of cool. And the, the dichotomy between the two really weirded me out. Or not the wrong word. Uh, the contrast between the two really weirded me out. The first twist is the fact that she was... Doragon's, Doragon, goddammit, uh, sister. Now, it was a character we'd barely seen. Like, we see her in the beginning, then she's kidnapped, we chase her, and we chase her, and we chase her, and we chase her. I will rescue her. No, I will rescue her. She's my sister. Thanks for taking care of her. I, what? I, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that's kind of like, that's effectively her second scene. And that's when we get that twist. It doesn't really feel like it's a twist at that point, does it? Oh, also, while I'm on this... I'm, I'm sorry, I just gotta rip that scene apart, because that seems really dumb. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> the scene where they literally go up, and it's like, here's evil guy. And they say, uh, you know, Sion says, I will rescue Dominique. And evil guy says, well, no, I, I'll rescue her. She's my sister. Have you been giving her a place to stay? Thank you for taking care of her. Can I reward you in some way? And then Sion says, you're lying. I won't be be fooled by your lies. And then evil guy says, oh, well, I guess I'll have to kill you then. Okay, well, in gratitude, I'll go ahead and, you know, fight with my less dominant arm. What? What? <laughs> and that's the progression of that scene. Anyways. Then we have a few more scenes, a few more gameplay sections, and what might actually be the second worst escort mission I have ever played in any video game ever. I've talked about escort missions. I've talked about the very philosophy of escort missions. I've talked about why escort missions usually fail and why most people usually hate escort missions and escort quests. This is like doing everything wrong. She's weak. Her AI basically deliberately leads her into damage. The enemies will pretty much literally ignore you and go for her or sometimes hit her trying to hit you and... Then they, then she dies, and you have to start all over again. It's incredibly aggravating. It's even more aggravating, given what I'm about to talk about. So you go through this whole mess of a cutscene, and or I said a cutscene level, the whole escort level. And here's the weird part: for all of the aggravation of that, I can see what they were going for because now we actually have an idea of who Dominique is, and actually give a crap about her. She's had a whole cutscene with Sion, where they're, they make goo goo eyes at each other like kids do, and then. She, uh, you know, we have to escort her, which makes the players want to kill her. And then, <gasps> she's a robot who also kicks ass, apparently. That was an interesting twist. That was kind of a cool twist. And I wish they'd done a little bit more with that, because I kind of like the idea of her being a glass cannon kind of a character. Because her health is in the gutter. And I, I believe uh, in multiplayer mode you can play as her, although I didn't really get a chance to really try, uh, practice that or, or play around with that. But I would like the idea that she still has like a really low health bar and there's nothing you can do about that, but she hits like a truck. Like just BAM! So it's just a cool concept, especially considering the whole idea that she was basically just designed to be a, uh, a link-up for the satellite. Oh, and that's another thing. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm at this point, I'm basically just ranting about the story, but you know, early on, evil guy is like, oh, I really would like to... Thank you for taking care of my sister. And he actually refers to her as a sister. Then, it, then 
cut to the end of the game, and he's up on the satellite using her to rule humanity with absolute power, and he he gets all irritated. He's like, oh, she's that this this my sister this this worthless robot puppet, and it's like you spent. Like, literally, your entire character motivation has been spending all the wealth of resources and power at your disposal and developing new technology by doing inhumane experiments on... Uh, what was her name? Ikeda or whatever? Ikeda? God, what was her name? I wrote it down. Uh, I wrote it down to... Chaldea. That's her name. Chaldea. Doing all those experiments on Chaldea and trying to figure out how to make this thing just so you could try and make the simulacra of your sister so you could have your sister back and now you're going to call her that because she's getting in the way of your Conquer the World plan that came out of nowhere? What? Anyways. <laughs> all this aside, I did actually have fun playing this game three times and, uh, I admit I started skipping a couple of cutscenes by my second playthrough. The ones that weren't different at all. Um, so, you know, yay. You can skip cutscenes, by the way. That's also nice. Uh, but as I was playing through this game, I enjoyed it. But I think this is one of those things that serves as a better function as being a stepping stone for better games rather than being really remarkable in its own right. And there's a lot of things that are that way, both from a literary perspective, from a musical perspective, from an artistic perspective, from a movie's perspective, and of course, from a game's perspective. So I think, if nothing else, this game does deserve its own little quiet corner of honor for what it did and allowed us to have in later Square titles on the PS2 and PS3. So that's all I got to say. share. I do hope you guys enjoyed Especially you, Myron, if you're the one I thought who requested this. I'll see you around next time, guys.